I can crowbar it in. You know something that does have an ex-James Bond in, Graham? Go on. Doom Patrol. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. for this welcome to a very loved up valentine's day special of the podcast nobody asked for with me ian harris and me graham Jones. and this week even though it is graham's birthday happy birthday graham thanks very much not today when we're recording but today when you're listening to this yeah if you listen to it on the day it was released so we're assuming a lot of things there but happy birthday anyway yeah all of them so, technically true as well though which is the important all, Yeah, all thing. of them. That, the best kind of truth. So today, because we have Valentine's Day just round the corner, we've decided to talk about terrible people in romantic comedies. Yeah, there's a lot of them, isn't there? Yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't a struggle to find some absolute bastards in romantic comedies. And I don't know about it's... you, but they all seem to fall in like... 90s early 2000s <laughs> those were definitely those were definitely the worst there's some <laughs> awful ones in the 80s as well but i think the 80s it feels easier to write it off as well it was the 80s yeah like anything that looks more modern it just seems to feel so much worse even if it's a remake of something which was in the 80s it still feels worse i'm looking at you overboard but yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting thing to think about. I got to very depressingly rewatch some romantic comedies just to make notes on people being cunts. It was great, but we will we will come on to that later. So yeah, Graham. First of all, mm. just random question: What is love? Uh, baby, don't hurt me. That's fair. I do I do like how we could talk in depth about very niche rules of American football, but as soon as it's all love and romance, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's Hugh Grant. I don't know, romantic comedies definitely get a bit of a bad rep. There are some good ones out there. There are some trash ones. It's interesting as well that there's quite a few male lead actors seem to get their starts in romantic comedies and then have to have some kind of breakout film and then they're like Matthew McConaughey, right? Matthew McConaughey was like the, the yeah, quintessential. Yeah. He was in loads and loads of romantic comedies. He had his breakout and now he's like revered as one of the best actors of his generation. Yeah, so you go from romantic comedies to a film which is like aggressively not romantic comedy and then you can do what you want. Ryan Reynolds did similar. Yeah, He was in a load of romantic comedies and then he got buried alive and then he could kind of do what he wants. But his idea of doing what he wants was to do Deadpool. Yeah, true. And yeah. Ryan Gosling to an extent, because then he did Drive, right? He was doing, he did a few romantic, not romantic comedies yeah. as such, but most notably The Notebook. Yeah, even Hugh Grant is kind of going that way now. Yeah, it took Hugh Grant a lot longer than yeah. the other guys. <laughs> I still maintain Paddington 2 is is Hugh Grant's magnum opus. Like, I, I, I truly and unironically believe Paddington 2 is one of the best films ever made. Oh, it's fantastic. But it is, incredible. without a doubt, Hugh Grant's best turn in a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was um, he was really good in... Have you seen Cloud Atlas? No, I haven't. Wasn't that... That was the book that was meant to be on film for, right? 
yeah, so the books the book is incredible, to be fair. The film is problematic. It's it is very well done, but there's a lot of uh uh yellow facing, white facing. I'm not sure if there's full on blackface in it. It's all a bit a bit weird. But Hugh Grant in one point plays a post apocalyptic cannibal. Okay, nice. As that. you do. But uh, before we, we delve too deeply into the Valentine's Day themed post-apocalyptic cannibal discussion, uh, I believe this week it is your turn to pick a film recommendation nobody asked for. It is. And obviously, Valentine's Day. Love, Valentine's is, Day. love is in the air. So I wanted to pick a movie that really typified love. And, well, I say typified love. A movie that I really love, therefore it fits with the theme of Valentine's Day. And actually, it has a sequel that is coming out. It's currently being filmed, and it has love in the title. And that is uh, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, nice. Good Because it's so freaking good. It's obviously Taika Waititi, as we've, as we've spoken about many times on the podcast, and fawned over, quite rightly, because he is just incredible. What a guy. But yeah, Thor Ragnarok is just. I feel like it was, um, it was the it was the movie that allowed Marvel films to. It was definitely the first one that felt like it was in someone's voice rather than yeah, just a film. Yeah, and that it could be a bit more than just a Marvel film. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, it's just. It's just great. I re- I watched it recently. Um, I'm doing a rewatch of all of the Marvel films. I've just got up to um, just watched Black Panther, nice, which is obviously very good as well. But yeah, I just I love Thor Ragnarok, and the link being that the uh, Thor Thor four, which is not easy to say quickly, um, <laughs> is going to be um, is uh, called Love and Love and Love and Thunder. I can't speak this evening. Um, I don't that's, know why. that's 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 fine. You're tongue-tied. Um, it's I, all that love. It is. It is. It's all the love and all of the snakes. Um, because we just watched snakes on a plane, not because of. Yeah, that was a weird. Valentine's Day really brings the snakes out. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to Love and Thunder. It's going to be the the cast list alone. I think is something to be very happy with. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I don't know about and it's and it's it's doing um it's adapting my favorite comic book story, so the whole god butcher stuff. Yeah, which is just an alien who murders gods. Yeah, it should be um sold. Yeah, it should be fantastic. I also saw yesterday. Um, so I think there were some new, sh- new like shots from the um, uh, from the filming that went like viral on Twitter or whatever. And um, spoiler alert. Just in case you don't know, but um, uh, skip forward thirty seconds if you don't want to know anything about Love and Thunder that is already out in the public domain. But um, obviously, Chris Pratt is in it as Star Lord, and it it seems like Chris Pratt didn't actually do anything yesterday, but just the mere pictures of him being on the internet got R.I.P. Chris Pratt <laughs> trending saw, yeah. because everyone hates him now because of all of the awful christian stuff that he's into i mean like <laughs> i don't i don't want to on a on a i was gonna say an episode mainly about love but i picked three people i think we should hate <laughs> um, 
on an episode about love, I don't want to hate on people too much, but it is kind of deserving, really, some of the stuff that's coming out about, it, like, the whole, yeah. Yeah. Let's not, you know we're, what? We're I'm not going to get yeah. bogged down in that. I just thought it was funny that it seemed like he, that there's all he has to stuff. do is remind people he exists. <laughs> exactly. And that's and, all people need. And then it started trending. So um, I, hope, I hope I'm never that universally loathed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um so obviously it, it's it's Valentine's Day, so I think people need a lot of a lot of choices for films mm. they might want to watch. So if you if you aren't into kind of superhero films and you're into something more around kind of couples, is yep. there anything you could recommend? Yeah, I mean obviously what do you think of when you think of Valentine's Day is go out for a nice meal sometimes. Obviously not yep. like me, yep. you have a nice meal. Um, maybe not with sixty other members of your extended commune, but you know, nice meal all the same. And typical gift Valentine's Day, some flowers, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps not a full dress and headdress made out of flowers, but flowers all the same. So you know, I'm thinking nice dinner, flowers. It makes sense that you would want to watch Midsummer because it's got all of that and more. Yeah, it just it just feels right. And at the heart of it, it is about a relationship, a relationship that is extremely toxic, um, <laughs> falling apart, and ultimately leads to many people dying. But it is about a relationship, and you know that's I think what Valentine's Day is all about. It's the, it's the midsummer of love. Very good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, like we said, so this week we're talking through terrible people in romantic comedies, and I, I don't know what I was going to say, I believe. I say that every week, and I know it's me. It's my choice first. It is your so choice buck, first. Buckle in, because it's going to get cunty. My first choice, then, is Mel Gibson. <laughs> Just transition music there, and we'll... We'll move on. Yep. But no, so specifically, Mel Gibson in the 2000 film, What Women Want. Um, what do women rhetorical... want? Apparently, Mel Gibson. <laughs> so, What Women Want is a magical tale about a man who electrocutes himself and can suddenly has the magic power to realise that women have feelings and thoughts. Um, It's... It's a fucking weird film. So, yeah, basically, Mel Gibson gets the power to be able to hear what women are thinking. Usually, what I like to do when I'm researching stuff is I try to get, like, a solid A5 page of notes and then just work off of that page. Um, I made the mistake of watching this film and trying to list. I have my cunty things he does list. Um... And I try to keep it going the entire film. And that's why I have three full pages of notes. Nice. So what I want to do is go through some highlights on my my list of things Mel Gibson does during this movie. So number one, grope someone in a coffee shop. That's six minutes into the film. He feels someone up in a coffee shop. Uh, he then gets enraged that a woman gets a job he wants. Um, Uses the phrase, there's too much estrogen on TV these days. Uh, what? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's legitimately... So he plays a... He works for a marketing firm and he's kind of in the creative side. Mm. So, like, somehow 
an even more sexist Don Draper. <laughs> right, okay. Basically. And in um, the 2000s, not the 60s. Yeah, and instead of him getting the job, a woman gets it. Ah! Like, okay. So, so he's legit... As a creative in marketing, he is legitimately annoyed that he's expected to sell to women. Um, he forgets about his daughter. This is all pre-magic. So... He gets given a box of kind of women's products, so like tights and nail polish and stuff. Mm. And then he goes home and he tries it all on and it's hilarious. But then he falls into a bathtub and electrocutes himself, which isn't really a thing that would happen. So as soon as he's realized he's got this kind of magical ability, the first thing he does with it is ignore the fact one of his co-workers suggests she wants to kill herself. He interrupts a pitch meeting talking over people most impressively he seems completely surprised that when he hears people's thought or women's thoughts they hate him <laughs> uses his powers mainly predominantly uses his powers to steal people's ideas is it just so it's it's only women that he can hear their thoughts of and not just human women at one point he hears a french poodle who speaks with a french accent <laughs> that's not how that works yeah, um, and because he hears people hate him, he would rather not have his gift than just try to be a nice person. It took him a third of the film to realise that there may be a benefit to knowing what women are thinking when you work in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Once he realises that, he obviously immediately uses it to manipulate someone into having sex with him. A colleague at one point drops things and it takes the fact he can read minds to want to bother to pick it up. Uh, openly laughs at the phrase empowers women. Um, he's really happy that he can use this to put his boss out of a job. He gets really creepy at a yoga studio, which is bad enough anyway, without the fact he's using it to spy on people's thoughts. Does the same with randomly starts jogging next to someone while taking notes. He looks up a mannequin skirt at one point, which is a little bit creepy. Seems to think that having feelings is something to be ashamed of. Steals more ideas. Forgets to call... So the woman he earlier manipulated into having sex with him, uh, he forgets to call her. And instead of being honest and apologising, he pretends to be gay. He's surprised women don't have penis envy. That apparently takes magic fucking powers. Um, (laughs) I thought you were going to say he's surprised women don't have penises. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's just... So, then this woman he heard have suicide thoughts doesn't turn up to work. Right. Which, you know, big deal. And he just kind of forgets about it for a bit. Important note, he wears an ill-fitting suit. That's not going to fly in a mad, mad men world. We're going to say um, Mad Max world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that either. Even after having these magical powers, he still doesn't call out misogyny in the workplace, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. He's more worried about losing his superpowers than finding a suicide note. Uh, Yeah. Forgot about a prom, looks over a toilet stall. At one point says, uh, I know what it's like being a woman. (laughs) Is he, um, how's he framed? Is he framed as being an absolute? bastard or is it um, like uh so he's he, he <laughs> classic male 
he's he is framed as being like man's man right but the 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 problem i have with it realizing that women have feelings and thoughts doesn't make you a hero (laughs) that's like that's that's nothing to be applauded that is literally the bare minimum you should be doing as a person like it's the same it's the uh uh, I don't want to say actors' names in case I get it wrong, but I'm going to say Matt Damon anyway. Who said, "Oh, well, we should be talking about all the men in Hollywood who don't rape people." I, I hadn't heard that, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 a defense people use. Like, oh, we should be talking about all the men who don't do this. It's like no, because that's that is like a zero on what you should be doing as a human being. <laughs> it's it's not something. It's not a hero's arc to become a nice man. Like, or not even a nice man. He's not going over the top. He's just being a civil human being. He then admits all of this to... So I am going to spoil the end of what women want, but to be honest, you shouldn't watch it. It's a piece of shit. Um, he admits to his boss at the end, who that he's sparked up a relationship with, that he was basically undermining her every chance he had and was stealing her ideas. Um, and then he's actively surprised when she fires him. Like, what... What did you expect to happen in kind of a meeting like that? It's it's just fucking crazy. Like I, I, it's kind of crazy as well from the point of view that like typically rom coms are marketed towards women, mm. and then to put this like. <laughs> Just the worst person in a in in a lead role, a, a film that you're targeting towards women. It just seems kind of insane. Yeah, and again, it just yeah. There's a lot of it played for laughs. That I, it's it's all like oh, you know. I I think the line is, if women are from Venus, you speak Venusian. <laughs> okay, but. Really? I mean, first, like, and we haven't even really talked about the fact it's Mel fucking Gibson, who, for some reason, and I assume it is sheer acting prowess, is really convincing as a sexist piece of shit. <laughs> because he's such a good actor, he can convey that. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, it just never, it never fully, like, character arcs like that never really fully sit with me. Because I don't like it, it's not even it doesn't it doesn't even really feel like a redemption arc. Like even towards the end, it's not like he's he doesn't even ever really seem to realize how bad his previous behavior was. Like there isn't really because he's if you had a scene where, say, somebody makes a misogynistic comment in front of him and he calls them out. And it's like, no, you can't talk like that. That's not right maybe fair enough but he has the opportunity and completely ignores it he makes everything about him and then seems to think that because he's been able to spy on women he understands women it's it is offensive on so many levels and he is just constantly a terrible terrible person and he's mel gibson yeah and then four years later he made passion of the christ which yeah apparently you, do you know there's a sequel coming next year? No. <laughs> Passion of the Christ, the Resurrection. No, I'm not joking. Oh, you're fucking kidding, really? That was a Family Guy joke, wasn't it? 
Uh, oh, it was there was something. Yeah, Passion yeah. the Christ two. This time it's personal. Yeah, yeah. Crucify this. Crucify this. Was it crucify this? That was that might have been in the. It was in the like the fake trailer, wasn't it? But yeah, Passion of the Christ too. He did. Um, he did Apocalypto. Have you seen that? No, I've heard it's meant to be fantastic. It's it's an incredible film. It's all in like Mayan, right? It's similar to. It's it's in yeah it's in indigenous language yeah it, it it's so well done it, it's that South Park do a whole joke about it like say what you want about Mel Gibson but he knows story structure yeah it's but yeah I mean that 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 for me is if I could come up with three pages of just things he did yeah <laughs> which I warrant mentioning on a terrible person list you know he belongs on the list it's. Yeah, he doesn't grow. Like, there's so much he could have done. And the fact that it takes him that long to realise it could be beneficial for his career means he probably doesn't deserve to be a creative director anyway. Yeah, I mean, you you think that um, knowing exactly what motivates your market probably the silver bullet for uh, for your career as a marketer. Yeah, I mean, that that's why I think he's a, he's a horrible person. It's it's Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't watch it. They remade it recently. Oh really? So spoke. Yeah. What what men want? Ah. Uh, because yeah, twist. I, I, uh, it, it, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's a troubling premise that's done badly. <laughs> let's let's leave it at that, shall we? Because if we keep talking about Mel Gibson too long, I'll just start gushing about Mad Max again and the Beaver. Uh, Fucking hell. The fucking beaver. So my first choice technically came out in 1993. And by I say t- when I say technically, I mean it did. But <laughs> it's literally came out in 1993. <laughs> but um despite being nearly 30 years old, it is a movie which is very, very current right now. Firstly, because the day it was named after happened last week. And secondly, because apart from the bit that I'm going to be talking about today um, in The Terrible Person and the things that they do, um, it's basically what we've been living through for the past year. And that film... Contagion. ...is Groundhog Day. (laughs) And The Terrible Person is Phil Connors, or Bill Murray's character. And incidentally, the time frame of Groundhog Day, according to Harold Ramis, is about 10 years. So... From start to finish, there's about ten years of of Phil living the same day. Um, apparently, originally it was going to be ten thousand years, but he thought that was a bit too much, so it's 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 ten years. So I think, and I think that's important when you consider the, like his arc. The, yeah, let's yeah. it takes ten years. <laughs> it takes ten years for him to become a decent person. Yeah. Have you have you seen how it's supposed to originally start? No, I don't think so. Because they they originally wanted the film to start like mid loop. Okay. So you don't know why he knows everything that's going to happen. Oh, that could have been interesting. Yeah, I I think that could have been quite fun. But... Yeah, the musical yeah. was fantastic as well. I lo- I loved the musical. It had a very very short run, and I I was very lucky. I just got like a a ticket from someone who couldn't go last minute and. I was like, yep, yeah, going to that. But yeah, very good. 
but yeah, I mean, I'm sure most people know Groundhog Day, but obviously the premise is that Phil Connors, he's a, a local reporter, he's reporting on Groundhog Day and Punk Satorni, and he ends up having to stay in the town um, despite hating everything about it, uh, wakes up the next day, and it's Groundhog Day again. And I, I like how has to stay in the town is the perfect summary of that entire film. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, and yeah, he just keeps reliving the same day over and over and over again, trying to figure out how he can break out of the loop. It's it's an intro because like, like you said, like even if people haven't seen Groundhog Day, they still probably know how to use it in a sentence. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like, it's, it's the it's Citizen but... Kane of um... <laughs> yeah, because it's it's no longer just a film; it is a term used to describe other films. Yeah, like the amount of the amount of films which are oh well, it's Groundhog Day meets this. But yeah, so so Phil Connors is is the terrible person in this movie. He obviously he realizes that there are zero consequences to his actions, and among a host of other things that. Are generally related to manipulating people to his own advantage he really focuses in on uh trying to sleep with andy mcdowell (laughs) and that is basically his whole um mission he's not interested in getting to know her to have a relationship he wants to sleep with her eventually after 10 years of this he kind of develops feelings for her (laughs) but i mean Ultimately, the story is manipulating a person through trying to understand their, I guess, turn-ons, the things that make them tick, by teasing that out of them for, yeah, basically a full 10 years. (laughs) They eventually snap out of it, which is when they... Well, it's, it's kind of when Phil becomes a good guy, but also essentially seems to be they snap out of it when they sleep with each other and because he says he loves her and means it because i think he uh, he earlier says he loves her but that was just one of the ways of trying to get her to sleep with him and obviously to her he'd only known her for one less than one day therefore telling her he loved her was a bit weird and yeah also like to typify how much of a piece of shit phil connors is ramis initially wanted tom hanks to play him but decided Tom Hanks was too nice. They should have had Bill Murray slowly morph into Tom Hanks as the film went on. <laughs> I did read something that he was getting quite frustrated with the direction, so he would just snap, is it good Phil or bad Phil? For his, that was that was his, uh, how he got I into they, the role. I think they, they had like a massive falling out, right, doing this, because this would have been all after Ghostbusters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think... They then really spoke again until, um, like proper deathbed stuff. Well, um, anyway, happy Valentine's Day, people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's just awful, isn't he? He's like it's a really of all the things, and I I don't know. I guess you know they're kind of painting it as a redemption arc and stuff, but really, like if that's do the end do the do the ends really justify the means of like manipulating someone for ten years? And it and the fact it took him. If we're saying what tr- triggered him to come out of the loop was admitting true and honest feelings towards someone, 
Yeah, it took him ten years. <laughs> like, well, and also he he figured out that killing himself was better than that. Like that was yeah. he resorted in that before he resorted to killing himself before he thought actually maybe I'll just try and be a good person and be honest. He figured out how to rob an armored car and stuff as well before he decided to become a normal. Uh, Become a nice person. Yep. He also yes. um, kidnapped the groundhog and killed them both before he decided to become a nice person. Yep. Um, yeah. And also, a complete aside, but the film also will appear if we ever do a list of the best named towns in cinema, because is there anywhere better than Gobbler's Knob? No. <laughs> is it a real place? I think it is, yeah, because I think. It has to be. I think in. Um, it's too weird not to be. Kind yeah, of thing. in in the movie, it's presented as like a small, like little town, but I think yeah. in reality, it's like a quite a rural, like foresty kind of kind of yeah. area. I don't know. Uh, do you do you know what the um, groundhog predicted this year? Other than six more months of it, uh, death and it, it, terror. Yeah, I think it. I think it saw its shadow. So that means. But yeah, I'm. I'm not going to. I'm very aware that I, rec- I'm recording on my work laptop. And I'm not, I'm not searching Gobblers and Ob on there. <laughs> I, I think it's easy to forget how much of a piece of shit Phil Connors is, because the end, like the last ten minutes of the film, are so wholesome. Yeah, like because that's always the bit you're leaving with. It's like his, his, uh, his long winter speech at the end, and the piano stuff, and him doing things for people, and. It's very easy to forget it took him 10 years to have any resemblance of humanity to him. Yeah, he's just... Oh. I don't know. And also, like, the the whole fact that in the end they fall in love kind of makes you forget that for... Like, his motivation at the beginning was to manipulate her into having sex with him. But also... So th- this guy has always been a piece of shit, right? Yeah. Like, he's notorious for being a piece of shit. All he had to do was be nice for one day. Yeah, yeah, From From Andy McDowell's point of view. Is it Rita? Yeah, Rita, yeah. Yeah. He just had to be nice for one day from Rita's point of view, and that was enough for her to go, oh, actually, no. All of these probably years, a lifetime of him being an asshole. Is nah, it was one year and he was good. He gave a nice speech in front of cameras. Yeah. Yeah. What would you do? What was if 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 you woke up tomorrow and it turns <laughs> Are you threatening me? <laughs> <laughs> if you wake up tomorrow. If you wake up tomorrow. Uh, so if you were to wake up tomorrow, Sonny and Cher is on the radio. It is the same day tomorrow as it is today. What's the first thing you do? I'm going to add a caveat to this, just to make this uh, not depressing. This is in a pre or post COVID nineteen world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, they're, they're... <laughs> Otherwise, it would just be well. I'd have to stay at home <laughs> forever. <laughs> um. So if if I had consequence-free use of my time, um. So I think there's a couple of things. One, um. Well, I don't have to. You know, there's no fitness goals or anything like that I could do. I'd just be stuck as here. So I could sack that off. I, I would go down the so he learnt piano. I would get my guitar skills back up to scratch. 
Yeah. Um, there'll be a lot of eating. That was my first like, thought. Yeah, a lot of eating. Um, drinking's a tough one because you would want to have, you would still have to kind of source the beer that would be worth spending days and days drinking. Otherwise, it's just you're not sampling beer. Then you're just an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, you can't really travel. There's a lot of. I definitely have a problem where I buy too many books rather than read them. Get some of those out of the way. Yeah, I don't know. But prob- it's worrying that everything comes down to eat. Yeah, yeah, 100% I where I went first. Eat. Takeaways, uh, more like... Oh, not just takeaways, like expensive takeaways. Yeah, yeah, expensive takeaways. And also like for the, the fabled... I've, I've, I've ashamedly done this at least two times um and usually whilst hangover but where all three meals have been like a delivery or uber eats i mean we 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 did it on one occasion where we did it for lunch and dinner when, i think when we recorded the first episode of this podcast maybe actually yeah but that that doesn't count for me because it's not at my house <laughs> it's, it's the same with like we we've done that when we were in um cardiff for the rugby and uh just solid drinking oh yeah that was awful yeah. i i remember being i Uber Eats uh, takeaway breakfast because you guys were still asleep and I was so hungover I needed some food. And then I remember when we got to... The the whole point of the trip was to go obviously watch the rugby and drink at the rugby and have a good time. And because I was so hungover from the night before, the idea of even sipping the beer was horrendous. I think I got through about three quarters of a pint through two games of rugby. (laughs) I think you had to stand outside the KFC as well when we went in to get food. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but yeah, no, I would spend, yeah, there'd be a lot of money on food. I'd I'd want to shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Any any other Johnny Cash songs that you'd like to... Uh, uh, I'd, I'd like to out. find a boy named... Yeah, I'd like to find a boy named Sue. Nice. Go to Folsom Prison. Folsom Prison. There's yeah. a lot of lines to walk. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I, I think there's yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of things to do. I don't think I'd ever go maybe you know what? I, I would try and non violently rub a bank at least once. Yeah, yeah. So look, lots of lots of really interesting things, fun things there. Things that, you know, maybe a little bit excessive. But you know what you didn't say? You didn't say I'm gonna spend the next ten years manipulating Andy McDowell into having sex with me. <laughs> because that's fucked up. <laughs> So, 2009's The Proposal. The Proposal is a romantic comedy starring Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. And first of all, we'll, we'll just briefly go through the plot. So, Sandra Bullock is going to be deported back to Canada because she very blatantly broke her rules of uh, kind of residence and she's going to be deported. And she was warned that would happen. What I don't like about this film is, like, I can suspend disbelief, like, up there with the best of them. Like, Groundhog Day. I love Groundhog Day. I'm a big fan of a film where this giant robot beats the shit out of a giant monster. You know, like, fucking colour out of space, Mandy, all of that shit. I'm fine with that. But when you expect me to believe Sandra Bullock is Canadian and Ryan Reynolds is American, (laughs) cinema has gone too far. I, I can't stress how much I struggled with that core concept of a film. The, the... Like you've picked the most famously Canadian actor, and the film is about someone being deported to Canada. 
the worst example of that, or maybe the best example, is I think it's in Ocean's 12. Is it Ocean's 12 where Julia Roberts' character is like... Julia Roberts. Yeah. Or she's Julia... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah. oh, yeah, she looks too much like Julia Roberts. I can't remember the ends of that, but yeah, it's... She, she doesn't look she doesn't look doesn't enough look, like that's her. It, yeah. She has to pretend to be yeah. And I have a, hated uh, everything with oceans in the title ever since. Yeah. Anyway, the proposal. The proposal. So Sandra Bullock uh is a high flying executive at a book publishing firm. And Ryan Reynolds is her assistant. Um Sandra Bullock is so this is kind of a trope that annoys me in cinema a bit, but we won't dwell on it too much. She's a successful independent businesswoman, which obviously means she's a cold-hearted bitch. Because that kind of gets boring. That's but the truth. She is, yeah, she is a terrible person in this film. So the whole concept of the film is because she's being deported, she pretends she pretends that her and Ryan Reynolds are engaged. Right. So and she does this on the off on off the cuff in a meeting so she's talking to her bosses and ryan reynolds comes in and she says oh but we're engaged so he has no say in the matter at all right and has to play along with it because well sandra bullock is in this massive position of power like it is it is a complete abuse of a power dynamic like she's the boss and he's the assistant so he he in this meeting he feels like he has to kind of go along with it she then pretty much blackmails him and says like you know if you you've worked so hard at your job being my assistant because you want to be a book publisher if i get deported all your hard work will be for nothing and you'll have to start again which yeah is a so it ryan reynolds then kind of swings it to his advantage a bit by bringing up the idea that you know, oh, we kept it from people because she wanted to promote me and that felt wrong. So he, he does kind of swing it round to his favour, but it's a federal crime that results could result in five years of imprisonment and a $250 fine. And she just brings him in to it on a whim. And it's not like, it, it's not like she was blindsided by any of this, Sandra Bullock movie. Nice. Um, Completely unintentional, but I caught myself saying it halfway through. <laughs> so in the meeting, they're like, you know how we just had a call from like our visa, your visa people or whatever. And remember when they we said you couldn't go to Berlin because of your visa application and you went anyway. And she said, oh, yeah, but who else would have closed the deal? And it's like, it doesn't fucking matter if there's a the government doesn't care about what, you know, sales pipeline you have. So she knowingly broke the rules. It's, it wasn't like uh, there's been a mistake or, yeah. you know, you didn't understand. She knowingly broke the rules and then knowingly used her position of power to convince an employee to commit a federal crime for her. Is, um, so, so two questions. One, the, like, the, the fine seems very small. Like, 250 quid uh, dollars doesn't seem... $250,000. Oh, you said $250. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That that okay. makes much more two, sense. Two, yeah. yeah. $250,000. <laughs> okay. I was five, like... five, yeah, five years in prison and yeah. you'll be deported anyway. Okay. Fair enough. And then um, second question is, is being engaged, like, is that enough? Like, it, it feels like you would actually need to be 
married in this situation because like you can like being engaged whilst is a thing is technically not a thing like you don't sign anything to say you're engaged there's no contracts of engagement so luckily that weekend ryan reynolds was due to go home because it was his nan's nan played by betty white great shout there yeah 90th birthday and with a couple of days notice sandra bullock's character says he has to work because she's a horrible person so ryan reynolds says oh well we're going back to see my parents we were going to announce the engagement there and then they want to get married quickly so the the story progresses that they are going to get married that weekend in alaska i'm assuming it's alaska because it's easier to imagine ryan reynolds in alaska because he is so famously canadian (laughs) but at no point does she think how it's going to impact ryan reynolds when they do get to Alaska, it turns out his family is like Kennedy rich. Right. So they basically own this small town. And she uses the phrase, why didn't you tell me you weren't poor? Classic. So she, she has no kind of concept that Ryan Reynolds might have a life outside of work or be a person in his own right. She's just a terrible person. Um, She also, at one point, which is arguably the worst thing anybody has done in a film, is she, I'm not, I can't stress how much I'm not exaggerating this. She tries to feed a dog to an eagle. (laughs) The family have what is possibly the most adorable dog that has ever lived. It looks like a tiny, tiny Malamute. Right. And the nan warns her that if he's outside, an, an eagle could get her. And they laugh it off because she's a crazy old woman. Um, and then an eagle does grab the dog. And Sandra Bullock throws her phone at it. And then the eagle grabs the phone and drops the dog. So Sandra Bullock tries to feed the dog to the eagle so the eagle will give her a phone back. Priorities. Disagree with me if you disagree, which is what you would do. But I, do, I don't think this movie would have been made if it was the other way around, i.e. if it was a powerful man taking advantage of their female assistant it seems weird that they thought that the abuse of power sat fine if it was the other way around it 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 seems to be because he does eventually use it for his own gain right he's in he's in on it okay but he was still dropped in it she still had no thought of what he was doing yeah i i don't i don't I'm sure there are examples of kind of it being the other way round, but I don't. I feel like if it was, that would have been addressed. That it yeah. was an abuse of a power dynamic. It would have been something you would have acknowledged, but in this, you don't. There's also kind of a, a weird bit where, so at, at the end of the film, obviously she admits what she's done because it's a romantic comedy and they're all inherently basically the same. And she's like, I didn't realize how wonderful he was. I was like, but he was your assistant for three years. Like, you would have, you might not have known him on a deep personal level, but you should have known enough to know he was a nice guy, right? Yeah, I mean, like, you get a general sense of people you work with if they've if they've been your personal assistant. Yeah, it's actually very similar to the, um, obviously without the, like, the whole federal crime bit, but the um, there's a storyline in, like, I want to say series six, seven of um, 
Friends, where Rachel yeah. is sleeping with her assistant, uh, Ralph Lauren, and it's yeah, it's kind of the the same thing. She he's he's treated as a a young foolish um, piece of meat, basically. But uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I was just made me think of that storyline in in Friends, which is full of awful people in relationships as well. <laughs> Both of us could do a top three terrible people in Friends. Um, yeah, the proposal just doesn't. It's one of those films where it is so. It's not that it's a bad. It's not like what women want, where you can't help but yeah notice how terrible he is. Like the proposal, by any stretch of the imagination, isn't a bad. It's the worst thing about it is that it it's distinctly average kind of thing. You'll you'll enjoy watching it, but you won't then really you would you would forget the majority of it afterwards, kind of thing. Yeah, maybe you would but... maybe say it was a bit indecent. Hey. Uh, see decent proposal see what he did there <laughs> like it but yeah it, it's the more you think about it the less okay it becomes even even if you take parts of it out like even if even if they were colleagues instead of the power dynamic she's still a terrible person because she's still no thought of what he was doing no thought about his family no thought about the impact on him no chance for him to say no because she dropped him in it in front of kind of both of their superiors as well. She's just a terrible human being. Well, and, and plus they mixed up their nationalities. Like, surely they could have kept their nationalities and just, like, been in Canada and she was getting deported back to America. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a, a, a select few things I can't see past. And I still, yeah. Ryan Reynolds will always be Canadian, <laughs> regardless of what he's playing. A Canadian gin magnate yeah but the best one for that for holding uh holding people well it's actually the the flip side of it i struggle to like elizabeth banks oh because of uh in scrubs yeah yeah yeah. she she fucked over jd so any film i see elizabeth banks in i immediately don't trust her yeah you said okay you're you're really (laughs) sugarcoating she told jd that she had a miscarriage with his baby But she didn't. Yeah, yeah. The, ca- the, the character yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, okay. In a circle. <laughs> but any film or anything Elizabeth Banks is, part of me will always go, well, she fucked over JD. <laughs> I'm, I'm not cheering her on, even though like in that film she plays like a fucking news reporter or the bad woman, <laughs> the villain in Power Rangers, right? Yeah. But I digress. Sandra Bullock's a terrible person. At no point during that did I refer to her by her character name. No, let me let me rephrase. Margaret, played <laughs> by Sandra Bullock, is a terrible person. To be fair, through your first two choices, everyone has just been the actor's name, and I, I'm I'm here for it. So I couldn't even tell you what <laughs> Mel Gibson's name was in What Women Want. That's how angry. Like it's a proper hate watch. <laughs> You're going to have to stick with me with this because it's it's a little bit complex how I'm going to get to where I need to get to. I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey okay. through. Okay, let me let me just paint, paint me that word picture then. So it's it's a journey of a movie that is actually full of terrible people and I am technically giving you two people who are terrible in this movie as my choice. But I'll get to that. Okay, okay. Right. The movie is There's Something About Mary, which came out in 1998. It's 
it's it's one of those films that is I I find is not as funny if you watch it now as when it came out. I was I was going to say I used to love that film. Yeah, I used to. I really also I haven't seen it in possibly ten years. Yeah, I saw it two or three years ago, and it doesn't it doesn't hold up. I don't think anyway. We talked about one like so Ace Ventura. Yeah, I I, I watched that recently, and there are definite. There are definite parts of it that don't hold up anymore at all. But there's something about Mary. I can't think of anything that would. Apart from, um, actually, no. You know what? Trapping your testicles in your jeans is not funny, and it never will be funny. <laughs> Frank and beans. <laughs> the beans about the Frank. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah. So there's a lot of terrible people in this movie, and I'm going to get to the two terrible people that I'm picking. But I'm going to go through a few. So you've got Ted, who is Ben Stiller's character. So he is still gunning for Mary 13 years after they dated, to the point that he hires a private investigator to find her, because that is completely normal. They knew each other in high school? In high school, yeah, they dated, high yeah. School. So they went. To, so the whole Frank and Beans thing was a, um, the prom night, I think it was. But Ted is not person that i'm choosing for being a terrible person despite the fact that he is a terrible person so then you have the private investigator who ted hires so he takes the job on but he becomes infatuated with mary and he wants to get with her so he tells ted that he, he basically lies to ted about her but he doesn't say uh couldn't find her you know i you know the leaves ran cold no he thinks that the best way to turn Ted off of her is to say that she's fat and she's had four kids with three different men. <laughs> he then like strikes up a relationship with Mary. He's dating her for a while, but again, is like he's not being. He's basically lying about everything to Mary as well. The PI, I forget his actual name in it. It's, yeah, let's go down my route, shall we? It's Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, yeah, it's Matt Dillon. Um, <laughs> he is also not one of the terrible people that I'm going to pick in this movie. Well, um, yeah, he's not the terrible person you're picking. He is one of the terrible people. He is one of the movie. terrible people in this movie. He is sort of, he's eventually found out by Mary's close friend, Tucker. And Tucker realises who Matt Dillon actually is, but doesn't out him like this to Mary and tell him about all of the lies. No, he tells Mary that he's a serial killer. <laughs> Because oh, that's the thing. About that. But anyway, yeah, Tucker, Tucker, Tucker. Tucker is well. Tucker is one of two. That was that was, that was four Tuckers <laughs> in a row. Now. You mean business? <laughs> Tucker is one of two terrible people in this movie, and we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, so he is infatuated with Mary, despite insisting that he's just a close friend. He doesn't. He he exploits their friendship. Not only to get close to her, but also as like a way of getting rid of other people, like making sure that she doesn't have any other relationships. Furthermore, he's disabled, right? So he's got a crutch. And it turns out that the way to, that he could kind of get in close to Mary is that he intentionally injured himself. So she would like take him on as a patient. That's weird anyway, right? But... 
Yeah. He he figures out that the injury actually isn't isn't you know it was it was bad at the time, but this was three years previous. Turns out, despite saying that he has a serious spinal injury that means he can't walk properly, um, he's absolutely fine. Um, but he's putting it on because he gets lots of sympathy from Mary, and he quite likes that. Also, he is supposedly an architect and is English. Um, it turns out that Tucker is not Tucker at all. Tucker is a pe- an American pizza boy called Norm. <sighs> there is this like so. Tucker is played. Tucker slash Norm is played by Lee Evans, um, who is actually English. So English to an Englishman playing an Englishman who's not actually English, but is American. Yeah, he has zero redeeming features. Um, he literally has like gotten rid of all of these potential suitors that, that Mary's had over the years, including Brett Favre, who he lied to Mary and said that Brett Favre took the piss out of Mary's intellectually challenged brother, which made her get rid of Brett Favre. I don't think there is a worse person Maybe in all of cinema, let alone uh, romantic comedies, like he's awful. <laughs> Again, to kind of talk about kind of a recurring theme of <laughs> it's not heroic if, like Ted gets the girl in the something about Mary because he realizes stalking is bad. Yeah. Like, because he is the least stalkery person. Yeah, Ted is along the... with the um, cameraman from Groundhog Day. Pops up in it as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's you're right. He's just the least terrible person. Uh, Cameron Diaz can do better, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like as I say, she she's surrounded by awful people. But I I think Tucker slash Norm is absolutely the worst. Yeah, because it it's it's a combination of two terrible people, right? Like even even just him as Tucker is a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. And that's before factoring in he's been faking it the whole time and completely fabricating everything. Yeah. Just, it's it's deception after deception after... Like, it's deception built on lies, built on fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where the fuck that came from. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's deception inception. It's... Yeah, like... You say you take any one of these things in isolation. You know, he wanted to get really close to someone so he could fend off anyone that gets close to her. That's fucked up. He lied about having a disability. That's fucked up. He he, he completely lied about who he is and being like a successful architect and a different nationality. And he's none of those things. That's fucked up. Um he he accused someone of being a serial killer. Also fucked up. But that's not six different characters. That's one person that Lee Evans embodies in, in Tucker and, and Norm. And that is why that is my cho- second choice. Because, yeah, there is, there is no one worse. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. That, that is all very bad, but... I would argue he isn't the worst person in that film because Tucker did not throw an interception for the Vikings in the NFC Championship game against the Saints in 2009. So the real terrible person (laughs) is in fact Brett Favre. Because who throws a fucking pass across their body? Matt Ryan. I've seen Matt Ryan do that. Good answer. (laughs) Matt Ryan is the the, the secret 
<laughs> this has gone very NFL heavy again. Uh, fuck Tom Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. So, yeah. Yeah. Tom Brady is the tucker of quarterbacks. My final choice, then. You could argue, depending how you look at it, this is actually like a body horror crime film. Uh, but I am going to go for it being a romantic comedy because it is along the themes of, you know, love and trying to win someone back and family and all of that stuff. And that is the deeply troubling Mrs. Doubtfire. First of all, off the bat, Mrs. Doubtfire is great. It's a classic. Love it. It's good. But the more you think about it, the more truly fucked up Mrs. Doubtfire gets. So my focus here is purely on how illegal it is. So kind of thanks to there was a YouTube channel called The Film Theorists yeah. who did an incredible video charting Mrs. Doubtfire and all of the things. So Daniel played by Robin Williams does. So citing my sources there because I am borrowing heavily from them. But basically Daniel is like bordering on completely morally bankrupt. <laughs> like he plays the whole so I don't think I have to go too much into what Mrs. Doubtfire is, but basically Daniel played by Robin Williams gets divorced. Um he's refused custody of his children, so he dresses up as a British nanny in order to see his kids. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, it's what any decent, well-minded man would do. But he's completely self-destructive in the film. The first kind of scenes with him are him sabotaging a voiceover job. He says it's for ethical reasons because I think they had a they had a cartoon character smoking on it and he didn't think that was right. But then he throws all of his morals out the window when so it turns out his wife doesn't want his kid to have a big blowout birthday party. Um so Robin Williams throws it anyway and it gets out of hand house kind of gets trashed they get a noise complaint so that noise complaint would be a hundred dollar fine that's actually a hundred dollars right not a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> not a hundred thousand hundred um and he had farmyard animals at this party yeah so he had like goats and petting stuff that in san francisco would be a hundred dollar fine as well yeah so he's he's lost himself his job and obviously he doesn't have a home because he's got divorced and he's been kind of kicked out of the family abode right so he doesn't win custody because of that his wife then starts seeing a guy called Stu, who's played by pierce brosnan and pierce brosnan's the real villain of the piece because deep down he is truly a nice man who loves these kids and this woman and is trying to not even replace their dad just be a nice role model for them yeah what a cunt terrible terrible yeah, so obviously what you would do there is vandalize his car, which is a thousand dollar fine. And then um so he throws a fruit at him when they go to like the uh the water park. Yeah. That could be seen as battery. No, it's a fruit batteries aren't fruit in. Ah. Hey. Hey. How's it? I, our, I... Our, our battery here is off the chain. <laughs> battery with a deadly fruit. Um, but no, it would be battery, which is a $2,000 fine and up to six months in jail because he intended he, he intended to hit him with it, right? It's not like he missed and hilariously ended up throwing a piece of fruit at him. He got drunk at a bar when he was supposed to be looking after kids and threw some fruit at his ex-wife's new boyfriend. 
And then how would you top that off? Sorry, did you did you say attempt to murder him? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of yeah. course. In a in a family film, you would attempt to murder him. So, in what is the climactic and hilarious scene where Daniel arranges a business meeting to talk through his kids' show ideas with the kind of founder of the network in the same restaurant where he's supposed to be celebrating. I think it's Stu's birthday or some, someone's birthday and he has to be there as Miss Doubtfire yeah. and he keeps going backwards and forwards. It's all hilarious. He decides to pour pepper into Stu's dinner. So he breaks into the kitchen or sneaks into the kitchen, puts on a chef's coat, pours pepper into this shrimp dish Stu's going to have, knowing that Stu is allergic to shrimp. That's not funny. No, but so this has always been a sticking point for me. The whole thing is he's allergic, right? But Mrs. Doubtfire saves him by giving him the Heimlich maneuver, which is not what you do to someone who's having an allergic reaction. Yeah. So my to 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 get what I think happened is he was eating it. He had the allergic reaction, which caused his throat to close up, which caught food. Maybe. But yeah, that's not how you cure. And also, if you're deadly allergic to something, you would have an EpiPen with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he knows Stu is allergic. It's not like a Dumb and Dumber thing where they pour hot sauce in it or something. Yeah. yeah. No, he's he's actively trying to hurt him because, like you said, he saved him. It gets him out of the actual attempted murder thing. Some, if he had died, it would be voluntary manslaughter because you can basically claim that you did it because of love and you didn't intend him to die but you could argue it's assault with a deadly weapon because you knew i know it's pepper but if you're allergic to pepper it would be the same as force feeding someone peanuts like you're using an implement you know is going to be deadly to someone that would be a ten thousand dollar fine and up to four years in prison you could also argue it's poison which is two to five years in prison and yeah, up to that point, that's 10 years in prison for him and just over $13,000 in fines. The final kind of nail in the Mrs. Doubtfire terrible coffin is when he was homeless and jobless and his wife won custody, he was given three months to get himself into gear. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, look, we're going to readdress this in three months. If you've you know, proven you can hold down a job, you've got somewhere to live, you've, you know, you've sorted your shit out because he's proven, not even, like, within the context of the the runtime of the film, he's proven he can't really be trusted to keep himself together. So he's given three months and then joint custody would be back on the table and it's something they could do. Mm-hmm. Breaking a divorce settlement, which has been approved by the court, counts as contempt of court. Contempt of court comes with $1,000 fine and a year in prison, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's done on each instance of contempt of court. So every time that he saw his kids would be contempt of court and a new fine in a new year. Right. So somebody has gone through the film, and if you take kind of like uh, the weekdays and the time that has elapsed, he would have seen his kids 40 times as Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> so that takes him up to 50 years in prison and an additional 40,000 in fines. So $50,000, 
50 years of prison. All because he couldn't wait. And it, it's kind of held up as like, a, oh, he loved his kids so much he couldn't wait three months. But like, you're, to be a decent parent, you have to get, you know, you can't be selfish. You have to kind of put yourself on the line. It's not like they were taking his kids away. They gave him three months to sort himself out. And instead, he thought it'd be better to have professionally done prosthetics to basically stalk his wife and arguably kidnap his kids. It's not cool. And it's a family film. And it's 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 really fun. Like, you get what I mean? Like, the more you think about it, the more fucked up that is. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of strange, right? Because... I think it's a theme of a lot of these. Like they're for some reason, and I don't know, I don't know why these things slip through. Because I think the average person watching Mrs. Doubtfire would never think of it as like a sinister film with all of these undertones. Whereas actually, they're quite clearly there. It's it's. Do you know what? It's just like it's. It it kind of baffles me that there's something about. I don't know whether it's cinema in general or the way it's presented, that these things are just glossed over and it's just like, oh, it's a fun, it's, enjoyable family movie. We we kind of touched on it in one of our first episodes with Passengers. Yeah. So Passengers from... So depending on your viewpoint changes the entire film. Like, can you imagine Mrs. Doubtfire from the mum's point of view? Yeah. Yeah, true. So finding out that her... There's a great YouTube video where someone's cut it as a horror movie. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It's so good. Yeah, and it, it's perfect. Because like, if, if it's from the mum's point of view, her piece of shit ex-husband, who the court has told to stay away from them, is in her house with... And for, for all you know, given, given the stuff he was... The self-destructive trends he was showing, like arguably, like, he, he could be... The reason they want him to get himself into gear is because he, he that's dangerous behavior. Yeah, they, they gave him, it's, they didn't even take joint custody away. It's not like those films where it's literally like you can never see your kids again unsupervised or anything like that. All they said was three months. Yeah. And this is what he did. He tried to kill James Bond, Ian. And no one, no <laughs> one should be able to do that. <laughs> In in a slight curveball to what we've been discussing so far, in the sense that we've had all rom com films, this is a rom com series, and I think I think even by the title of it, you can kind of you know, yes, it's a it's a sitcom, but it is ultimately a romantic comedy, and the the show that this character is in is um, How I Met Your Mother, which ran from. 2005 to 2014 about five years longer than it should have done and the character i'm sure no one needs to think oh which terrible character in how i met your mother are you gonna pick because obviously it's ted mosby i hate him so much (laughs) so i mean there's so much wrong with ted mosby and I'll, i'll go over a few things but so one of the things that sticks out initially is that this show t- takes place over nine years. He, How many relationships do you think he's in in those nine years? How many seasons? Uh, nine seasons. Nine seasons. Yeah. If we say 
what I'm I'm going full GCSE maths and showing my working. So if we say one major relationship every other season, that would be we'll round that up to five and fifteen. He is in relationships with thirty-one women in nine. <laughs> in nine years, I I, I went fifteen because <laughs> I thought I was overshooting it. <laughs> Apparently, the average uh, number of relationships for a man in their lifetime is around about six. Ted Mosby gets through thirty-one in the space of of nine years, and I think the the really interesting thing with it is is like Ted is never presented as being like a Barney character. Like Barney, you would expect... Barney's a womanizer. He has all these flings and stuff. You would expect that high volume of women from, from him. Ted Mosby is, like, quite vocal in saying that he is looking for his, like, soulmate, one true love. Like, to the point that I don't think there is any other personality traits to Ted Mosby than he wants... Uh, long-term relationship so if we're assuming a season is a year yeah he has a new girlfriend every three and a half months (laughs) but then you also have to take into account that some of those are longer relationships right so so there there is definitely periods of like quick fire (laughs) like Uh, i i just i'll I'll interrupt briefly before you go into more detail but i i hate ted mosby so much I gotta say that so much during this section, yeah. but he's such an insufferable prick. He he is the the Tom Brady of sitcom characters. Oh, a hundred! That is a perfect <laughs> analogy. And there's a whole subplot of him cheating. It, there is, and there's a subsection of people who really like him and think he's great and get offended when you say he's no, he's just a romantic. It's like, he's yeah. not a romantic. <laughs> He's a self-serving, entitled piece of shit. There's a whole episode of How I Met Your Mother where the moral is literally how to turn a no into a yes. Well, I mean, and also that the fucking Ted Mosby, the entirety of the nine years is. I know we, you know, he's nearly as bad as as Bill Murray in Groundhog Day because he spends nine years (laughs) trying to get with Robin. Obviously, he does get with her, and then they, you know, they have their on-off thing and whatnot. Um, but he's obsessed with her. Like he also similar to Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, he tells her he loves her on her first on their first date. <sighs> <laughs> but also like the the other annoying thing I guess with the show itself is like it kind of rewards Ted's behavior with an ending mm. where well, it, it constantly rewards him because he's never really shown to be a bad guy. No, no, and also never really falls on hard times. Like and you kind of tried to like make to feel sorry for him, even though he is oh, clearly yeah. the terrible person. And stealing stuff from a restaurant isn't romantic; it's a fucking crime. <laughs> it absolutely is. And oh, I got this blue fucking French horn or whatever the fuck it was. But you know that Josh Radner actually has the blue French horn as well because he <laughs> he took it from the set afterwards. Jo- Josh Josh Radner is yeah that's. Very similar to Elizabeth Banks as well. I can't watch him in anything. <laughs> but yeah, like the, it, it rewards the like it's been out for a while. It's 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 seven years since it finished. But spoiler alert! Fuck off, really? Yeah, twenty twenty fourteen it finished. Fuck. 
I still remember. I'm still disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what made me less disappointed was, have you seen the alternate ending? Uh, I haven't seen it. I've read it. The alternate ending is beautiful. It's so nice and so well done. But wasn't that was always meant to be? And this was kind of the whole problem with it: how long it kept running and running for is like it then didn't have the ending that it was meant to have. Right? Because of the framing device of him talking to his kids in detail about how he fucked all these women, which is a conversation we'll have later. Five, like five years before the end of the the show. They had to film this grand reveal scene of him talking to his kids. Yeah. The show then went on longer and in a direction I don't think they thought it was going to go. So like humanizing Barney and all of those things. But then to make the ending they decided on five years before work, they had to withdraw all of the character development that happened in about two, three seasons. Yeah, yeah. Which meant that not only were these seasons subpar anyway, they were then completely irrelevant. Yeah, and also the most... Fuck, I hate Ted Mosby. And also the, the series nine, where it is, like you say, like so much happens in some of these other series, and then series nine is like two days of the wedding thing that's dragged out over the best part of, like what 24 episodes or whatever anyway so it turns out that so in the first episode you find out that he doesn't get with robin robin is their aunt robin right so you're like oh well who is the mother and that's the whole thing throughout you have the like the umbrella and all the shit but it builds up to the point that you know ted finds his his true love she's you know i guess categorically the right person for him because there was a lot of incompatibilities with Robin. Robin didn't want kids, all of this kind of stuff. Obviously, with the mother, he has kids. And then, you know, really sad, she gets ill and she dies. And he just really quickly gets back with Robin, who he's still infatuated with, despite having been married and have had kids. Also, the whole point of the show is that they're a shit couple. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like, Robin and Barney work, but Robin and Ted didn't at all. Uh, and not just didn't, like, toxically didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, Ted wants what Ted wants. Yeah. But yeah, and so as you mentioned earlier, the plot device of the show is essentially Ted, post his wife dying... Telling his kids, <laughs> Ted. The plot of the show is Ted posts his dead wife. <laughs> it's like that. Now that is a weird sitcom I would watch. It's like a weird weekend at Bernie's. Um, <laughs> but no. So the it, after I'll use the term after to to not confuse you, Ian. Um, <laughs> I I appreciate you pandering to me and bringing things down to my level. <laughs> after his wife has died telling his kids about all the women he hooked up with on the way to finally getting with their mum, how she died, and then why they now presumably have to call Aunt Robin mum. <laughs> and, you know, in all of his exploits and all of the, the telling of the stories and stuff, he, he complains about being left at the altar when he basically drove Victoria away from the wedding. There's also the whole like really really messed up storyline of the the slutty pumpkin at the halloween party 
who like four years previous he saw liked the look of her despite not being able to see her face and then stalked this same Halloween party and basically her big identifying feature was that she mixed Kalura root beer and that was a weird drink and therefore she would stand out. So he spends time at the party basically spying on everything that these girls go up and make as drinks to then presumably go and accost whoever puts Kalura in the root beer. But it's romantic, Graham! (laughs) (sighs) Do you have notes on the dog incident? I don't, know. So the worst thing Ted Mosby did, so Robin has five dogs. Yeah. And he finds out that they all came from ex-boyfriends. And he asks her to get rid of them. And she does. And then she finds out that a load of Ted's stuff, like just belongings, were gifted to him by ex-girlfriends. And he decided to hide that because it's not the same. I'd completely blocked that out of my consciousness. Yeah, I, I pulled up a list of worst <laughs> things Ted has done. There's a lot of articles, and they're all very long. Oh, yeah. Never look, people. Never get rid of your animals for anyone. Oh fuck no! Especially not Ted Mosby. But yeah, and to use an analogy from from earlier, where we were talking about terrible people in the sitcom Friends, um, he makes Ross Geller look like a well-adjusted human being when it comes to adult relationships. Oh yeah, he's such a like. R- 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 Ross is a balance, don't get me wrong. But like even Ross doesn't have the victim complex that Ted Mosby does. No. <laughs> it's it's difficult to uh to talk about him without like I said, just going over and over again about how terrible he is. Like he just especially women. But he treats everyone badly. Yeah, he's just he's just the worst. There's not much more to say. Awful, awful human being. <laughs> Okay, so out of out of your yep. three choices then, what would be your top Um So third place, I'm going to put Phil Connors, I think, because even though it took him 10 years, and even though maybe his initial intentions weren't right, he eventually has some level of redemption. It clearly, it must be a level of redemption that is genuine because it it snaps him out of the cycle of Groundhog Day. To, to be fair as well, I think out of all of our choices, he's really the only one who properly suffered for his redemption yeah, yeah. as well. Like, it, it's never shown as an easy... Like, the proposal redemption arc is she has to spend a weekend in Alaska. Yeah, that's not not 10 days in punks. Yeah. 10 days, 10 years in punks at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It, it's yeah. No, I I, um, I agree. I think that's fair. Between the other two is very difficult because they both have zero redeeming features. I'm going to say Ted Mosby second, just because as far as I recall, he didn't fake having a disability in order to get someone. But I wouldn't put it past him. And then the worst being Tucker slash Norm, who. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Yourself. Um, so out of out of mine, um, I'm gonna go Margaret, played by Sandra yeah. Bullock. See, I'm learning in the proposal. She is a terrible, terrible person, but I I think the others are worse. Really, it comes down to that. I still think she's a terrible person who should be fired. Ah, oh, the other two are tough. I mean, it's well, well, it's not, is it? Second, Mrs. Doubtfire, the sheer illegal nature of everything, and just how not okay any of those actions are 
the redeeming feature of it came because he loved his kids, but nobody was taking his kids away. It's a terrible thing for a terrible person to do. And then number one, Mel Gibson. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with those. For final yeah. top threes. For me, I think Tucker slash Norm and something about Mary. I, I just don't think there is anyone worse than him. He's at the top for me. Ted Mosby is definitely up there. Mel Gibson is definitely up there. I feel like the others... See, I, for, for you as well, actually, I, I whilst whilst there is all of the illegal stuff in Mrs. Doubtfire, I feel like there is like a, a twinge of like redemption there, maybe. Maybe less so in the, the proposal thing seems like less... I suppose there's the whole maybe Ryan Reynolds gets his um gets his own way from it or his own benefits from it a bit. But yeah, I don't know. Also, completely like sort of off tangent, I was just thinking, could you imagine how bad it would be if Ted Mosby had the Mel Gibson powers in what women want? I think it would be exactly the same. <laughs> it it's again, like you can't stress it enough. He is a he's in yeah. marketing. And he doesn't realise that knowing the thoughts of people could be beneficial for him in anything other than manipulating people into fucking him. But yeah, it's Ted. Ted Mosby would be just as self-serving. As oh Malcolm. yeah, yeah. I have to. I have to. I have to keep calling him Mel Gibson. It's he. He is one of those actors though where you can't see him as anything other than Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah you're right. Like it. It. It's not Mad Max. It's Mel Gibson in the desert. It's not you know Riggs and Murtar. It's Mel Gibson is a policeman. Uh, I was about to say policewoman. Mel Gibson is a policeman. That, no, that's in um, What Police Women Want. <laughs> nice. Answer, Mel Gibson. <laughs> but he's just a... He's a terrible person who abuses magic powers to be even more of a terrible person. And then he doesn't use his redemption to benefit the people around him either. Yeah. Like, the... the Arguably the most redeeming thing he does is insinuate that he understands how women think. Which, or no, it wasn't uh, understand what women think. It was, I know what it's like being a woman. Yeah, which is a reach. But also, like, the thing with, the, the thing with Bob Gibson is if you have to have magical powers to steal people's ideas, maybe you aren't that good at your job. So for me, it, it is a close fought close conversation for one is third between the ever-present question of Ted Mosby or Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, I think so. Because, um, yeah, like like you said, like, I, I think there's... Again, the, the sheer abuse of power in the proposal is absolutely abhorrent. But I really hate Ted Mosby. Yeah, I think the other thing with Ted Mosby as well is, like, like there's so much wrong... Like, arguably... Um, in Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, there's all of these terrible things that are happening. They're happening over a three-month span. They're also happening to, you know, whilst it's his family, a select number of people. Ted Mosby is messing up the lives of, like, 30-plus women over the space of nine years and spending... Oh, God. He, he, did, he, he, he dumped someone twice on her birthday, right? Yeah. And also, let's not forget, not only did he do all of this, he must be fairly proud of how he's treated all of these women because he's regaling his kids with the story. I'm assuming... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, like, to be fair, 
we don't know if Daniel was proud of. He did seem he did seem to regret what he did in places, even if it did lead him to becoming a TV star in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, yeah. but he obviously had some Mrs. Doubtfire. No, that no, doesn't work. <laughs> you you tried, and I can respect that. Uh, yeah, Ted Mosby's just a, it's the the worst thing with Ted Mosby isn't everything he's done. It's the fact he still thinks he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Like like Bar- Barney's a prick, but Barney knows Barney's a prick. Barney leans into it. As a person, you don't like him, but it does. It doesn't have that extra level. Yeah. Ted Mosby's like, oh, I'm so good. I deserve. Her. He's he's someone who will get annoyed that pretty girls don't go out with nice guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he is basically an incel. We just leave <laughs> we leaving it there. <laughs> yeah. Mike Mike drop. Ted, Ted's an incel. Mike drop. The important question now is who's worse, Mel Gibson or Tucker slash Norm? So I the reason I think Tucker slash Norm is worse is because whilst like Mel Gibson kind of he falls into this with the whole magic bathtub whereas I oh, know true but but he was already a piece of yeah, shit yeah absolutely like, every, already a piece of shit everything before that he was still a terrible person yeah he just then became a terrible person with superpowers and then he became a terrible person who hasn't learned anything but yeah i just think the sheer like levels upon levels upon levels of deception that Tucker slash Norm displays is just I, I just don't think there's any way around it. Like I I just think he's one of the worst people in cinema. It's not just that it, it is like that is serial killer behavior. Absolutely. Like that's dangerous. Yeah, like it's, it is it's abuse. It's the very it is the very definition of abuse and stalking. So okay, all right, we'll put we can have Norm over we'll have Norm over Magic Mel Gibson. <laughs> magic Mel Gibson. But we're acknowledging it is very fucking close. It is very I, I do not it disagree. Is. It is very, very close. So after that loving episode, the podcast nobody asked for's top three terrible people in romantic comedies. Obviously, honorable mention to Brett Favre for uh, <laughs> keeping the Vikings out of the Super Bowl. Um so we have Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother because Ted Mosby's a piece of shit. We have Mel Gibson in What Women Want. I should probably look up the character's name, but he just forever be Mel Gibson. And then number one is Tucker slash Norm from Something About Mary. If you agree with our choices, if there are other terrible people in romantic comedies you can think of, and there really is a lot of them, uh, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. Yeah, I, I don't know how to follow up this episode. Like, it's <laughs> romantic comedies are meant to be about love. They're meant to be about feeling good, and there's just so many awful people in them. So, I mean, if you feel the same, if you don't know what to think about romantic comedies, if you've got an idea of actually a romantic comedy that isn't full of terrible people that you can share with us. Tell us about it on Twitter. Uh, nobody asked for pod with the number four. And uh, you can find us there on Facebook as well. Yeah, and um, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And in your review, put any kind of future episode ideas you may have. And we will do the best ones. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether it will be a future episode or not. But I'm definitely going to go and try and think of some nice people. Because I want to be able to sleep at night. 
But yeah, I mean, fuck Ted. Fuck Ted Mosby. Fuck Ted, fuck Ted Mosby. <laughs> and fuck everyone on these lists. But you know what, Graham? Not you. Ah, appreciate it, man. Happy birthday if you're listening to this on the 11th of February. I, I mean, what else would I be doing for my birthday after listening to myself? for this.